back to a better world. This is your host, Mitchell J. Rabin, and I'm very glad you're joining us again today. Today, we are going to be continuing a theme that we have been very outspoken about here at Better World because it's very, very poignant for the entire country and the world to deal with. It's a subject involving a question of integrity, of accuracy, and of action. And today we'll be speaking with a couple of guests. I am waiting to hear from them at this moment who will be discussing with me this very subject of integrity in this case in our elections. We've had some problems. We've had some bumps in the road, as many of you have noticed, and so have the CIA, the FBI, and the 15 other leading agencies, intelligence agencies in the country, who have been very outspoken, actually, about the subject of this election being hacked in a few different ways. And not just simply by uh, our own people in one way or another. Voter suppression is something that is found in virtually every election and is against the law, and it should be dealt with accordingly. But so many of the domestic infractions seem to just skip right by the notice of very high bodies of the judicial system, and that is a subject very much worth dealing with on its own account. No question about it. And it's one that we have dealt with here at A Better World Media because it's worthy of true scrutiny. And I've made reference over and again to the investigative journalistic work of Greg Palast, who has been on A Better World TV some time ago when his book, The Best Democracy Money Can Buy, first came out. And that was in regard to the 2000 election of Bush v. Gore and all of the problems that arose from that and the fraud that took place then. And it is provable. This is not loose language at all. It is completely provable. And the sad thing is that even when proven, it was not dealt with in courts of law. You can ask yourself why. Well, I think that would make a lot of sense to ask why. But uh, meanwhile, we still got the president back then selected, this time not by a foreign, a foreign power as we did this time, but rather by the Supreme Court. And as I said, that's a whole other conversation. But if you are not aware of the investigative work that took place around that election that uncovered the facts, just the facts, of the election itself, meaning uh, the voter fraud, the throwing out of ballots, legitimate ballots, the disenfranchising largely of people of color, as well as Democrats themselves, and certainly people who had any kind of uh, record of felonies, any kind of criminal uh, record, uh, despite what the laws may have been, were not allowed to vote, then, of course, they were missing chads and swinging chads, and, oh, let's not begin. But you all remember what it is we dealt with back then. Well, 
actually today we are dealing with another matter as I just referenced and it is of as and more serious purport because it has to do with the literal assault infiltration invasion is a legal term as I understand so are the others I guess of our election by a foreign power, by just any foreign power, but one that is considered to be adversarial to the interests of the United States of America. And I even question some of that. Why would they, the Russians, be considered adversarial? After all, the Cold War is done. We've had many good relationships uh, relations with them on several different counts. Um, business, sports, cultural exchanges, educational, et cetera, et cetera. So why is it that the um, the politics are so pitted against one another? I do not have an answer to that, but pitted they are. And that's a whole other kind of conversation. But indeed, we are considered to be in, if not officially, certainly unofficially, adversarial relationship and sanctions have been ordered and are on the Russian government based on a number of different infractions going back I believe it began with the incursions into Crimea and then following into Ukraine but <coughs> excuse me that aside again as I as you see I touch upon a number of different subjects that have uh, serious ramifications each and every one. What we're dealing with here right now is probably the most salient of them all, which is that for quite some time it appears that the uh, Russians had had a plan in place to disrupt and adversely affect our election cycle on top of which they favored one of the two candidates and that is by name Donald Trump well there's an interesting article that was in Mother Jones that described a relationship between Donald Trump and the Russian government that looks like it stretches back some five years of doing both business and planning ahead for this particular election cycle. Very curious, um, very suspect, and it appears has expressed itself through this identification of the Russians inside our election system. Hacking DNC and RNC emails as well as as well as other forms of infiltrating the election and influencing the election as i mentioned the cia the fbi and other intelligent agencies all of them have concurred and have stated and declared and have come out publicly that this is in fact the case yet yet there has been no public discussion or utterly, utterly minimum about the nullifying of the election results. 
Like, how did that happen? Let's draw a straight, logical line from point A to point B to point C. What would happen if you discovered that the election results were deliberately tampered with, thereby contaminated? Well, you would have to say, we have to throw those results out, like spoiled milk, and re-milk the cow, start a new vote. It's very simple, yet that has not stopped people from seeking to obfuscate the simplicity at hand. So uh, we have a situation where we are some 13 days away from the inauguration, and yet we don't have a um, we don't have a public outcrying or congressional outcrying and outpouring saying stop. We don't have one originating even from the White House, where it would make most sense that it would have originated there upon first sight of a Russian hacking right then and there. It's a state of emergency um, because of the voting, and you must call a new election. And by way, by the way, of course, of Supreme Court ruling. It is just so commonsensical, yet it has not yet been done. Well, what's interesting is that there was a group of people that formed rather ad hoc, but all felt the same way about this horrid situation, this unconstitutional and illegal and unethical arrangement. So as a group, we set out to do something about it. We sought lawyers. We sought counsel. We sought assistance. We sought money. And we sought our own creative brain power. And they came together. And one of our guests, who is not yet on, I'm a little puzzled by the fact that the two guests who were slated for coming on today uh, are not yet available. Gerald Sanders, who's been a guest on for the last couple of weeks numerous times because she, in fact, was the drafter of the document that ends up as our legal basis for a motion. And it is she who came up with the understanding that there is a gaping hole in our Constitution and body of law around calling new elections at a time of identifying what might have been a fraudulent election such as ours. Very peculiar, but true. And as a result, we have come together, we have united our activity, we have supported Gerald in different ways. She has masterfully uh, come up with this document, and it has since been filed, initially, actually, in the Supreme Court. And then through further counsel, we learned that it would be to our advantage, time-wise especially, to file in lower courts, not so much lower, but the federal district courts. And indeed, this motion for a stay to the inauguration and any further activity regarding uh, the seating of those who were 
call so-called elected, we say select in this last November 8th election, be stopped forthwith in in possible contemplation of calling a new election. So, tomorrow we will have on as guests the people who actually took the the paperwork and walked in to the federal district office in San Francisco, in Denver, and in Boston. So that will be an exciting show. And they will speak about what their actual experience was in meeting the clerk, in speaking about this, the kind of reaction we got. And while that's all unofficial, it shows where people are with the current state of affairs in our country that we have been assaulted, we have been infiltrated, we have been invaded, and yet our elected officials are doing nothing about it. It is as though partisan politics is much more important. So you'd say, where are the Democrats in all of this? Where are they? Asleep? It doesn't make sense. So we really do not know what is going on. And if any of you do, please let me know. (laughs) And we will give voice to that if it's coherent on these airwaves. Uh, But until then, we are puzzled and we are disappointed and we have taken action ourselves. And that, you could say, is the basis of all of us. And that is that this last election cycle is driving us all to a call to action. No question about it. Because if we don't do it, it looks like it ain't going to be done. And, oh, I know, people are debating as to whether the CIA is accurate and the FBI is accurate and the 15 other intelligence agencies are accurate and they've made mistakes before and they've been politicized before. And, you know, that's true. Those are true assertions. But past performance does not define just like when you go to buy a stock or make an investment, it's the same thing. They say, listen, we may have done well in the past, but that doesn't mean anything about what the future will bear. And you as an investor must note that. Now, you have probability working on your side. Yes, indeed. So as a voter, we have probability working on our side as well. And while I am not one who in himself is uh, uh, prone to accept the results of intelligence agencies by and large, um, unless I feel they are right on. And I do feel that way now. I will disregard, as I did back in the year um, when the whole matter of 9-11 occurred and when the uh, uh, invasion, the preemptive invasion of Iraq occurred. And I, I saw them 
being politicized by the White House at the time, the Bush-Cheney White House, and I emphasize the name Cheney there because I believe that he had a tremendous amount of power and was doing a lot of strong-arming and I think also a lot of threatening is what I really think, and I think that we can back that up. I think there's evidence of that, and I think there was vindictiveness when Larry Wilson uh, who is a diplomat who came back and did not give the report the White House at the time wanted about the uh, yellow cake sought by Saddam Hussein in Niger when that story that the White House floated out wasn't verified by Larry Wilson. They took aim at his undercover CIA wife, Valerie Plain. This is horrendous. This is low class. This is very low level. It's mobster style is what it really is. And that Bush Cheney White House was, as far as I can see, wholly responsible for that. Same as the way they persuaded uh, Colin Powell to go to the United Nations and make the case for them as well. It was like they had a mission and they were going to do everything they could to swing support behind them from the intelligence agencies on and for whatever reason they had the power to do so why they did is again a whole other conversation but that they did seems pretty evident if not completely obvious so don't think for a moment that somehow I think that because an intelligence agency declares a certain position that it is ipso facto the truth because that's not my way of judging but rather I look at the array of evidence and I, I, I look at it with my mind and I watch it and listen to it with my heart as well as my gut those are my other two brains and those are all of our other brains and if we do that, we can make a full-bodied and wholehearted assessment of the information. It doesn't guarantee that we're right, but it gives us another point of leverage in understanding with the potential we have of understanding and reviewing data. Our ability to review data, by the way, is a survival mechanism. Our ability to identify danger in our field is a matter of survival. It's where we biologically develop these skills. I know this isn't what usually is talked about when talking about politics, but it should be because if we don't understand something about the neuropsychology and perception psychology of this species, then we're really kind of washed up. So this is the underpinning, if you will, of our ability to assess information, to assess data. So <clears throat> coming back around, here we have not one, not two, but all 17 agencies basically concurring. And this is not a popular thing around which to concur. The implications of it are profoundly serious from a point of view of military, from the point of view of economics, from the point of view of diplomacy, from the point of view of politics, to the point of view of business and business as usual, from every single perspective, cultural, educational, social, etc., between these two 
big, strong, powerful nations. So it cannot be said that uh, the CIA has rather frivolously or wantonly made these cases and huddling up with the current president, Obama, and then said to be future president, uh, Donald Trump. It's not really in the cards that they would be, no pun intended, trumping up. But you know, you have to ask yourself what you feel about this. And if you are like this group and our group, Voice of Millions, and what we have seen in our social media of a better world, of uh, our, ver- our group members that have tens upon tens of thousands of uh, Twitter fans and the like, we see that our finger is on the pulse of many people in the country. We've heard this from inside the courts. We've heard this even inside the halls of government. Some letters that I wrote to President Obama, to Vice President Joseph Biden, to the Congress at large, actually reached the desks of top people and were read by aides. They are now fully aware of what we are doing and the response we received, interestingly, was very sympathetic and very encouraging of our, why would that be? Because there is extreme disgruntlement and upset and outrage about the, the honoring these elections when we've been told flat out publicly by our biggest agencies that they are, have been defrauded and not only defrauded by domestic frauds, but by international. Now, from my point of view, if it's found, like Greg Powell found out, that votes were literally being tossed out by the tens of thousands based on color and on race and on economic standing, in Detroit alone, I'd be alarmed. Others say that people who have been deceased for quite some time, their names were showing up on ballot. I mean, just low-level, low-integrity activity. These are reasons alone this voting on November 8th should be thrown out. The work that Jill Stein did in the recount also revealed, and the problems she had in getting the uh, recount accomplished, are all signs of something smells here in the state of Denmark, and we need to listen up. So, add to that scenario, enter Russia. It ends up that As people know, President Obama expelled 35 Russian diplomats who were actually considered to be some of the world's finest hackers. Expelled. Now, no sitting president in his last days in office takes a measure of that level, of that magnitude, unless there is serious, serious 
threatening trouble at hand. And nor do I think he would have done that from a political perspective to simply make uh, the next president's life more difficult and challenging relative to what seems like his bedmate, Vladimir Putin. It's just too extreme a measure, and it's not at all in character of this President Obama to have done something like that. Many people have accused him over the past eight years of being way too docile and way too passive at times when he needed to be very proactive, if not aggressive, in dealing with world matters. So that he would take a measure of that magnitude in his last days of office must also be a sign to us all that something really stenmark and what do we have to do to digest this what do we have to do to get congress to actually come out of this clearly drugged self-interested state yes self-interest is a form of self-drugging uh and see from a higher elevation what is actually going on on the world stage this is a serious assault and serious insult to the democracy of the United States, which is held by others and by us here to be the exemplar of democracy and a republic to the world. How can it be then that no one is doing anything about throwing out these results? Because that's what needs to happen. Now, had Gerald Sanders called in to join me here, she would have said something like this, and you can listen to prior shows to hear what she actually did have to say, is an amendment. Well, Article 4, Section 4, which states in our Constitution that the United States government, i.e., the federal government, will protect all states in the union for a, to conduct a free and fair election. Well, you could laugh about that because we don't even know in our lifetimes when and if that ever happened. But when you have introduced a foreign power, a foreign adversarial power, all of a sudden people wake up and they go, oh my God, <laughs> this is horrendous. Because think about this. If in this case, Trump is actually put into office. His accounting for his position is not the American people. It's to Vladimir considered adversarial. No matter what, foreign, not domestic. Meaning his allegiance is not to the American people, which means that day one, he is in violation of the Constitution. It is actually an act of treason. And number three, we haven't even touched upon his uh, far-flung business interests around the world, numbering approximately 500. And that is also a conflict of interest regarding the uh, amendments of the Constitution, where no sitting president should be receiving profit from foreign governments or through. That means when he gets sworn in on day one with his hand on the, on the Bible, 
swearing to uphold the Constitution, it is a Constitution with which he is in violation. Now, why all of these facts, in addition, are not being digested? I don't know. And I really wish someone would help me understand why this is happening. So, I am pleased to say that uh, one of our guests today just joined the line, and that is Gerald Sanders, who you've heard on these airwaves several times by now, who is the primary architect of the filings that have taken place in San Francisco, Denver, and Boston over just the last few days. Gerald, welcome to A Better World. Thank you, Mitchell. It's a pleasure being on. Good, good, good. I am glad you joined me. I didn't know where you went. I was expecting you a little earlier, but no problem. I laid out the groundwork to our position here and why we are so, so deeply disturbed by the fact that no one in Congress, no one in the White House, no one in the media, save one or two, are talking at all about the need to protect our democracy and its integrity, throw out, nullify the results of a fraudulent, invaded uh, election that took place on November 8th. So as you are the person who brought this forward, uh, I would love for you to just weigh in here with our guests, with our audience, I mean, about what is the fundamental basis of where we are with this case. Well, the fundamental basis, um, Mitchell, is that um, we're in quite an extraordinary situation. Uh, We're uh, involved in an inaugural process that has several steps to it. We had the the swearing-in of the Congress on the 3rd, we had the ratification of the uh, electoral votes on the 6th, and then, of course, we had the inauguration pending for the 20th. And um, we, all of that, precipitating all of that, uh, was the very public, very open, very uh, uh, obvious hacking of our elections coast to coast and we're proceeding with business as usual constrained by uh, our current framework unwilling to take the unusual extraordinary steps necessary to create the change that we need to ensure that Putin did not elect our officials and yet our governmental officials, from our president on down, they are literally silent on the matter and refuse to call for a new election. It is quite troubling. What do you make of this? Why is this happening? Well, I think that an inquiry asking President Obama why he has not called for a new election Inquiries asking congressional leaders, including John McCain, who has been very vocal about his disdain for what has occurred, um, I think that's very much in order 
for all of your listeners. I think it's time we ask them directly. Why speculate when we have access to their office via phone? On Monday, I will do exactly that. I will ask, why have you not contemplated or spoken of a new election? Now, understandably, our current framework does not is not as currently constructed, designed to facilitate a new national re-election. But nonetheless, the need exists. And I mean, we're talking to legislators, people and, and, and who have the ability to enact new laws, who have the ability to devise, devise a process for holding a new election and, and, and enact that into law. But yet, There's no talk. Now, I know why there's no talk on the Republican side. It's because they want to enjoy the spoils of cyber terrorism. They, again, enjoy the Senate by having the Senate, having the House, and having the presidency. Well, what you're saying really is that they want to enjoy the fact that the Russians favored the Republican Party. And they are now in a position of incredible power. That's what they want Absolutely. to enjoy. And they apparently Absolutely. don't really care by what means that power was derived, which means that they are sacrificing. Okay, they are sacrificing, Gerald, the integrity of the United States democracy and republic for their own selfish partisan power. It's Absolutely. a horror show. From a moral point of view, this is an outrage. It's an outrage. And just imagine, just imagine what it looks like on the world stage. I mean, yes. the entire world witnessed this. Just imagine the entire world is watching as, 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 as Donald Trump, as, as the Senate and the House, as they literally help and aid um, in this Putin perfection exactly. conspiracy. Aid and abet. That's right. Aid the the actual legal language is aiding and abetting. And so, exactly. which means that they are all complicit in, you know, a word that was used by one of our guests recently, CIA operative Bob Bear? Treason. Absolutely. That was what it he called this action, this non action all the way from the Oval Office down. This is very serious material. And right when you were calling in, I was speaking to the audience about something, and I'd like to hear your input as well, and that has to do with accountability. If uh, what might be President Trump, unless we can be effective in what it is we're doing, and I believe we will be, and we'll get to that in a moment, he will be accountable to the person or persons or government that actually installed him in office, and that ain't the American people. That will be an adversarial foreign power. And if we hold a new vote, which you and I and our group, Kirsten Elaine Martin and others, Kelly Doctor, Kelly Senholtz and others, would like to see happen, which is the call for a new vote, then it's another thing. The American people will have installed through election process the next president and everyone else down ballot. But if not, where's the accountability? Your thoughts? 
is the accountability. There is no accountability. What we, what we will have, everything about our process as we know it will change. I was talking yeah. with someone this morning and, and asking, we were talking about just the political landscape and different issues, and the person said to me, well, I told them that they do not, they do not uh, contact their con- congressional members. They do not uh, express their displeasure. I said, well, you know what? In the new environment, that will change. Why does your congressional member need to listen to you if you are not the person responsible for his or her being elected or being selected and placed in office? That is the leverage that we hold. Our vote is the leverage that we have when interacting with elected officials. So let's say you want your elected leader to – Uh, vote a special way on funding of education or on gay rights or on women's rights or abortion rights, all of that goes out of the window because you no longer have that one lever that's available to affect the process. And that is huge. That That is the very essence of our Uh, uh, of our democracy is the ability of the people to elect officials and people say, Oh, it's the electoral vote. Um, Yeah, it is structurally speaking, but when you think about it, your popular vote determines which parties electors are seated and the way that those elected, as we saw uh, when people were attempting to sway electors to vote differently, those are the most diehard party members who are allowed to sit as electors. And so when, you, when, when the popular vote is no longer determining the electoral vote and that electoral vote no longer determine, determining who is ratified as president of the United States, then guess what? You you you've now lost your we leverage. Have trouble and in River even City. with the exactly. right, and even with the congressional leaders, as I, I shared uh, when I was on your show last, there were there was evidence for your public in case they don't know this. The hackers, when they hacked the DNC, apparently the DNC maintains files that identifies uh, problems that uh, candidates have 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 had and where those candidates are most vulnerable. The Russians or whoever hacked accessed those files, took that most damaging information, and made it available to some of the Republican candidates so they could use in their campaigns to defeat Democratic candidates. Absolutely. So they do, just so you know. I'll be holding to Putin. This is another exactly sign, signal, and symptom of an election that has gone awry. I want to take a moment here. Our other guest just joined in, and that is Alex Mohajer, who is a contributing political writer and commentator to the Huffington Post. He's also the founder and editor-in-chief of 
Bros for America, I like that name, a progressive advocacy organization that garnered national media attention in 2016 for their work to elect Hillary Clinton as Bros for Hillary, where he served as political director. Uh, Alex holds a Bachelor of Arts from uh, University of California, Berkeley, and JD from Chapman University School of Law. He's a legal advocate by day and, interestingly, moonlights as an award-winning singer, actor, and solo artist. So that's a lot of fun. I love when people are involved in a number of different activities so one doesn't make us too boring. Alex, welcome to A Better World. Good to have you. You got the entire resume down, Pat. <laughs> okay, very good, very good. I I hope you've been listening a little bit here, and uh, let me introduce you to General Sanders, who has been the prime architect of our motions that have now been uh, put into motion, no pun intended, in San Francisco, Denver, and Boston as of over the last few days. And Alex, as I believe you know, you are very politically active and progressive. We are challenging for reasons uh, pretty publicly known at this point that the election was hacked. It was infiltrated, right. it was invaded, and all 17 intelligence agencies of the United States of America have concurred on that subject. So it only stands to reason then that if it were hacked and influenced on behalf of one candidate over another, that the uh, results are spoiled and well, they should be thereby thrown out and a new election held. So we'd love well, to hear you weigh in on this very interesting, controversial subject. Well, I'm going to start out at the outset by saying that, you know, I'm on your side. <laughs> you know, I, I feel that the, that the presidential election, the legitimacy of the presidential election has been called into question in, in such a profound way that yeah. – uh, if if we were going to speak ideologically or if, we're, if, we're, if we were going to have the ideal outcome, it would be a new election or um, a, at least putting a stay until we, until we can, you know, determine what um, yeah. the actual impact was. That being said, yeah. do I think it's happened? I'm not sure. I, I'm, I'm, I don't think so. <laughs> you know, the last couple of months have been very um, upsetting because I think, uh, when a lot of us expected the other side to look past their party loyalty or their ideological purity in yes. sort of acknowledging that free and fair elections have been undermined, they failed, they didn't do it, you know, so we, and, and that is going to be crucial. And I think part of the frustration everybody feels is that we now have a Republican controlled Congress and a Republican controlled government and a government that was, you know, essentially uh, benefited from... Bought and paid for. Bought and paid for. Right. No, I appreciate your point of view. It's very easy to become discouraged when you look at the uh, the way that the chess pieces are lined up. I mean, you that think, oh, we don't stand a chance. We're a pawn. We're not a king, you know. I want to add, but, though, that being said, please. I, did, I did a piece for um, Huffington Post uh, a, a little bit, uh, like maybe a month ago, it's called uh, Russian interference could give whole courts legal authority to uh, replace Trump. 
And that case uh, that I was referencing in my article was about a 1994 state Senate election that was overturned because of voter fraud. And that was Mark mm-hmm. Stinson. And in that case, um, I think that there are extremely instructional rationale in that case that I found very interesting because while people say in the case at hand, the uh, there's no proof uh, of the impact or there's, there's no proof yeah. that this was voter fraud and that hacking is different, really what the Stinson case is saying, and I have been trying to bring this uh, to people's attention, is that yes, it doesn't have to be voter fraud. The Stinson court said that there was wrongdoing the wrongdoing was intended to benefit one party over the other, and the wrongdoing mm-hmm. was shown to have an impact. Not that it, they didn't even need to prove that it necessarily 100%, you know, changed the outcome. They just needed to show yeah. that it had. And so, with that kind of instructional rationale, you're basically you're basically saying if you can show that Donald Trump uh, benefited from this. And he could have it, it, the outcome could have been changed because of this. It's wrongdoing, and if the Republican Party or if Donald Trump knew about it, well, then it's all over. I mean, if if there if proof comes to light that suggests that Donald Trump was aware, yes, that this happened or that this was going to happen to benefit him, it's all over. I mean, in terms of legal, um, from a legal and, point of view, what is that called? Uh, malice of forethought. Well, it's a conspiracy. It's, conspir- it's conspiratorial. It's conspiracy. It's absolutely. Um, and it's, I see. And it's that, gives, that gives some validity to conspiracy theories, I guess. It's certainly complicity. <laughs> I, no, I, I, I very much appreciate your point. And you can't measure. It's very hard to measure the effect of a hack or an invasion on these specific outcomes. Like, oh, yes, that added 50,000 votes or deleted 50,000 votes from the other column. And you're making the point, if I understand you correctly, that in that uh, prior case, Alex, that it was just the fact that there was interference is sufficient grounds for negating the value of the vote. Absolutely. And actually, what the court is saying is that there is a lot of federal case law that suggests that have a broad power in ensuring that free and fair elections are maintained because it's the cornerstone of American democracy. And that's not just legislation. That's not just interpretation. That's federal case law on point many, many times over. And uh, I think if I, if I pull it up for you, I I can read you the exact holding because it's, it's fairly uh, fascinating. Um, It discusses uh, the broad, powers of the courts and this is Mark while you're doing that I want to bring General Sanders back in here uh, because it is she who identified um, article 4 section 4 and its implications for this particular case General would you please share that with our audience sure Um, uh, before I if you don't mind before I get to that I want to speak on uh, something that Alex said he talked about um, influencing uh, the the vote. What we do know, and what we allege in our uh, in our uh, document, is that um, the actions of the hackers materially materially affected the election. Now we know that. All we have to do is look at 
the polls. When information was released uh, having to do with Hillary Clinton's uh, emails, there were immediate and measurable changes in the poll numbers as a result of the dumping of data that had been hacked by the hackers. So we know there was a material influence. The 17th intelligence agencies have confirmed that there was intent. So the case that um, Alex is referring to, the, the, the findings, the judicial findings, are all applicable to the case that we have, and we don't have to speculate about any of the standards uh, that he just espoused. So Very with respect, point. yes, and with respect to the um, Article 4, Section 4, our, we also have an additional standard that we cite, which is the fact that the United States government, and I, I read something very interesting when we talk about the United States government. The president has an obligation to protect the government, and I wish I could remember it verbatim, but I cannot, in a manner that other government officials are not charged with. So let me just say it very explicitly. President Obama had an obligation as the head of the government, along with the Congress, to ensure that states were protected against invasions. And here's what we do know also, that throughout the 2016 election cycle, beginning back in uh, March or perhaps earlier, we don't even know if this hacking began back a year ago in preparation for this election. I would suspect it did. But what we do know is that throughout 2016, hackers were invading our systems all across the nation. And our elected officials did not intervene successfully to stop it. Now, there were FBI alerts, because I have some, that were being sent out to, to, um, to local, uh, to states across the nation. In fact, some federal uh, agents even went into the states and tried to help them shore up their systems. But the bottom line is our systems were hacked, and as a result, we have uh, unreliable elections, and we need a new, we need a new, a redo is what we call it. Very good. Thank you, Gerald. I appreciate that very much. Alex, your comments. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, firstly, I just want to say, uh, yes, I, I do believe that the, the hacking had an outcome, had, had a change on the outcome. I, I wasn't arguing that there is no material effect. I believe that there is a material effect. What you can prove in, an, in a court of law, however, the standard of proof and the burden of proof is, is, is a, it's a difficult burden to meet. And that's why I'm saying that could have held, that it could have had an impact. They don't require you to prove that it absolutely did, is all I'm saying, just that it could have. And that's mm-hmm. enough for mm-hmm. federal court, at least in precedent, to, to, um, to, Inter, intervene and and uh, and you know and exercise their broad judicial uh, powers. However, your point makes your point makes our case even easier, and yeah, that's yeah. very much appreciated. And I think it's a good point. What we're and looking at, by the way, one, really additionally, one yeah, please additional point uh, is I'm looking at uh, a chart right now. It's uh, it, it monitored 
coverage of election-related controversies and gaps and relates them to uh, the late-break vote for Donald Trump. There are literally 30-something million, 30 million-plus media mentions of WikiLeaks and hacking, and then 21 million for Clinton's emails. That's a total of 61 million media mentions. The third uh, most mentioned uh, election-related controversy is the word deplorables, and that's 6 million. So we've got 50 or 60 million media mentions related to the Russian hackings, and the next down is 6 million. So if that's not proof that the outcome of the election was impacted, I don't know what is, you know? Yeah, so exactly, exactly. Yeah. We're, but let's let's take a look at something. I just to set a stage again is the distinction between partisan politics and the rule of law. We're really dealing with a judicial matter here, and I'm so glad that you're a jurist doctor. We've been looking for one for a while, so this is good. Uh, that we want to make clear that in order for the United States of America to actually sustain as a working republic, a democracy with integrity, it cannot have a president or any one down ballot uh, selected by a foreign power. I mean, this goes without saying. This is so obvious. Somehow there is a, uh, a silence when it comes to the President of the United States, the Oval Office altogether, and the Congress for lots of reasons we don't need to go into it. However, there's a very interesting matter that's occurring right now, which is because of these filings, there is a groundswell of interest. In fact, tomorrow I'll be having on some of the people who actually did the filing and their interactions with people at the court, which they seem utterly thrilled by the fact that someone is bringing this case to public notice. We also have the same kind of response to different corners of the media, including MSNBC. Real interest in what it is, once we've got this filed, we feel, Alex and Gerald, there is going to be a commensurate explosion. And so when you sit back and say, is this going to happen or is it not? What are the chances? Like you're, we're betting on a football game. Well, we're probably going to lose. But we know that, can you imagine if Martin Luther King didn't do his job in standing up against all odds with guns pointed at him basically most of his adult life as a preacher? If he did not continue doing what he did, where we would be today? So... It just seems like, what do they say, um, the tough get going when the chips are down, that's it. And I feel that this interesting group uh, is doing just that. They are just going for it. There is a real interesting growing groundswell. And to whatever extent we can help to aid and abet that on the side of the good and the legal, uh, I have put a better world out and available to help serve this purpose. And actually, I want to say, Alex, I, you're, I really, I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I wanted to say, I greatly respect what I, I greatly ex respect the ground game of people who are making a grassroots push and trying to get this effectuated. What I'll also say is that, um, 
you have to ma- match that passion and that uh, and that sort of that uh, that drive and that this, yes ur- this urgency with also being well thought out and calm and um, understanding that so much of this has to do with the way people perceive the speaker as much as the argument. When people perceive the speaker as being sort of just throwing uh, muck at walls, they're not going to re- receive it well. And a lot of this, a lot of American discourse, of political discourse, has to do with the way the message is delivered. And so I've tried at yes. every corner, to, I try to say you need to match these arguments, um, you know, and with a with a sense of sort of, uh, you know, this is just about free and fair election. This isn't about Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton or Democrats or Republicans. This exactly. is about the very cornerstone of American democracy. Absolutely. And, and if we can approach it from that end, I think you have more of a shot. Um, well, that's I, the I way we approach things. this. As I, I laid out just moments ago, uh, this is completely framed, and it is true. It is authentic. This is uh, by the way, I did not vote for I Trump. Something you might love. I did not vote for Hilton. Uh Hilton. <laughs> uh, sorry about that. Uh but I did vote for a third party as I've been doing for decades. And you know, that's our own <laughs> private information. But so exactly. this is not one or the other. For me, this is really a matter of the preservation of our democracy. Gerald, but I will say that I wrote a that I wrote a piece called "Why Hillary Lost" that lays some blame at your feet. <laughs> oh yes, yes. People like to do that. <laughs> People like to do that. Yes. Well, I live in New York, which was a uh, fait accompli for Hillary. If that makes you feel any better. <laughs> It does, it does. Uh, I want to read you guys something, though, and you guys tell me, is this 2016 or is this some other time, okay? Various voters testified that they were angered and disillusioned by the election and its aftermath. Many citizens have expressed a common threat of pent-up feelings, reflecting a long-suppressed disgust and outrage at the officials and the system responsible. It would be a delusion to conclude that the underlying evils which conceived and nurtured the wrongdoing involved have been eliminated. Only a concerned citizenry can do that. Only then will they have a permanent and justified confidence in the electoral process. 2016 or some other time? I the election of earlier. President, President a, Obama? No, this is 1994. No, 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 wait, don't give it away uh, yet. Don't give it away yet. Okay. Uh, <laughs> He's already the use of the it. word... The use of the word citizenry gave away a historical perspective. So I don't yeah, know maybe. if it's as far back as Lincoln, but it was quite some time ago. Go ahead, Alex. And, 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 and you know, I, it's 1994, and it's the Stinson case that I brought up earlier, but it, it's a very fascinating – it's the, literally the conclusion of the, of the entire court's um, decision. It's the last sort of bit. And it's, yes. it's literally parallel to the situation that we have at hand now. And it's what inspired me by this case. Um, uh, and, and in this case, the, the state Senate election in this case was overturned by a judge, and the wrongful winner was replaced by his competitor in the election. So, mm-hmm. uh, and this was after the fact. So the reason that I think that that's relevant is because we're yes. approaching now Donald Trump and in, in his inauguration. And in some, if some, by some, you know, um, 
grace of God, uh, we do get this done before then, then great. But I'm, I'm assuming that it may, may not happen on time. And all that this case is saying is that there is some case law on point that suggests that courts can come in after the inauguration, after he's taken office, and say, no, we have evidence of wrongdoing. We're taking you out and replacing you. And that's all I'm saying. That's, it's, just, it's just a bit of hope. That, that's interesting that you mentioned that, that's Alex, very because interesting. we've requested a declaratory ruling from the court uh, right. determining the election to be uh, fraudulent. And that would, in essence, be consistent with the uh, with the citation that you just referenced. So. Um, I think we. Um, I think your 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 point was very well made on Simpson. Uh, I think that that's just some additional information. Our argument, and I also want to emphasize that we have taken the position, and I know I have taken the position, which is how I actually um, came to be associated with uh, uh, this effort. Uh, I was actually on a radio show, uh, a national radio show. Uh, talking about um, the need for a new election. And this cannot be about a candidate. The voting process uh, has to be about the American people. As I say, most candidates are going to be fine. They're financially well off. They have uh, all the uh, advantages usually most people would want. But we must be very, very clear that what we're talking about is preserving our right to vote, preserving our right to influence elected officials when we go to Congress and petition them for the things that we want. If, if our elected officials even suspect, have a modicum of belief that they have been selected by Putin, then their affections will be for Putin and not for the American people. And that is very very, very alarming to me since I well, engage in a lot of advocacy work. And even more alarming is <laughs> with regards to Putin. I mean, this is a very bad guy. And since the election, his approval ratings among conservatives have gone up. Like, like what? Like, are we so blinded by, by ideological purity and party affiliation that now mm-hmm. we're going to we're literally going to start saying that Putin's an okay guy. Like maybe they should get along. Well, no, he's a very, he's a bad guy. Putin is bombing hospitals in Aleppo and killing civilians to, to, uh, to push up the cost of gas prices, uh, global gas prices. So that it's because. Well, I I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to go there, Alex, because I I don't want to. Perfect point about it though. It's the quick point, yeah, right. Though, no, I understand. It's that there, there is point, such though, a. It's a it's an important I'm sorry. point. I'm sorry. I'm it's an important point. Yeah. I just want to make it real quick. Is that this guy? Then he uh, bolsters the the cost of gas prices globally. Okay, and that's Russia's biggest export. So he's making a pretty penny off of these sort of heinous acts globally. And then the president elect is like is like cozying up to him and there's a video of him in July saying, you know, I hope you find Hillary's 30,000 emails. That's also indicative of like a weird relationship there. And it to me suggests that there is knowledge. And I think that that's why I, I am tying back into that is if there's knowledge on behalf of Donald Trump, then um, this is 
this is more than just this is a conspiracy, uh, and and I think that we should through also have our through. Yeah. Through and through. Well, you know, we yeah. could on that level we could trace this back to his coming out publicly to say, well, I wish the Russians, you remember this line, would hack the Hillary Clinton emails. I mean, just to make a public statement of that sort should have raised the eyebrows of every single intelligence agent in this country, not to mention the Congress, the Republican Party, and the president. And it did not do that. That is grounds, actually, for being a public figure to making a statement of that ilk is so troubling but that goes for all the kinds of comments that he has made over time but it's very important to come back to a point that i made earlier we actually have all made here which is that this is not about partisan politics it's particularly troubling for lots of reasons and i appreciate your points about that alex lots of reasons this is troubling on a on a kind of a a a partisan basis and who the characters are in this play but if we want to stay long term about what our real purpose is in this uh in this program and a series that i've been doing on this subject and the work of this particular group voice of millions it has to do with being aligned to the principles that underlie our country and our constitution and our need to remain true and adhere to those if we are going to have a structure, a, a real country that stands and doesn't fall in the eyes of the world. We're considered to be the exemplar of democracy in the world. Can you imagine what this would look like from the outside to see that our country has actually fallen to uh, one of its adversarial powers? I mean, I don't think we even have words to describe the insult that that would be to what is considered to be the great power of the world. Your that's comment? Exactly, that's exactly right, and, I, and I, I'm in total agreement with you, and I think that's why I bring up the severity of Russia's actions globally, because they are the leading, the world's leading hostile foreign power. And that is relevant because to say that we will allow the leading hostile foreign power to intervene yes. with the leading democracy yes. is uh, it's unimaginable, unimaginable. And that's got to be the line. Um, and unfortunately, I see people sort of, I mean, now this is the new Donald Trump line, which is, uh, which is uh, that that the Democrats invited it because they didn't have security hacking software that protected them. And it's just <laughs> outrageous, right? That's, it's classic. It's so outrageous. Thing. But as, a, as an attorney, I, if I may ask you from that point of view, uh, what you have seen, this is, is the word treason too strong a word? Because it is so unheard of in the entirety of U.S. history, what is taking place right now, and the complacency of the Democrats and the White House itself to allow this to go on. What, what well, words you, from a legal perspective would you use? Let me give you the legal definition of treason. It's treason against the United States. I believe, if I'm going to do this right off the top of my head, <laughs> it's, sure. uh, it's levying war against the United States or giving aid and comfort to their enemies. And 
um, the the less the more lax definition is basically somebody who betrays one's own country and uh, either tries to kill uh, a sovereign entity in their country or overthrow the government. So that's the loose the loose definition. Did Donald so, Trump? Yeah. Know what do you see here? When I hear Donald Trump uh, say, I hope you find her 30,000 emails looking right into the camera. I don't know the guy. I've never met the guy, Vladimir Putin, but there's all this evidence showing that he's been in and out of Russia many, many times since the, since the 1980s. Okay, He's been in and out of Russia many, many, many times. He's been to the Kremlin. He's been in Moscow. Uh, he's definitely you know, met Vladimir Putin. Mm-hmm. And then for him to just sort of say that he yeah. hasn't is is sort of like why why not just say that you have? To me, that saying that he hasn't is more indicative of 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 a untruth, a mistruth, and that to me suggests he may have known. the The definition of conspiracy does not require that somebody actively participate in the crime; it just requires that they know about it. That's it. Yes, that's all you need to well, be a conspirator. And if I may interject, I think that, you know, we all, uh, everyone in this nation is discussing this topic, Every, just about everyone. Yet mm-hmm. the, 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 the $150 billion question is, what do we do about it? Because if we, we have what? I think this morning I counted, is it 12 days to act, essentially? 13, and yeah. if not... If not, we, the, the conspiracy is perfected when Donald Trump is inaugurated. So I'm just, I, I'm just rather curious even with Alex. Alex, yeah. what do you? I, I know I'm not the uh, host of the show, but I am curious to know, no, please, what do you think yeah. the solution is? I mean, we have to you talk know, solution. I, 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 right. What is know, the strategy for upping the ante well. here? I'm going to give you an answer you're not going to love. Uh, I have felt that the only real person who can bring uh, an actionable, uh, a legal action that will uh, be made as having standing, well, just that's just to have standing, right? That just means that she's an aggrieved party and she can bring a legal action according to the law, constitutionally speaking, is Hillary Clinton. Um, in order to bring a constitutional challenge to the Supreme Court and to get a writ of certiorari, um, you have to show standing, and that involves showing that you incurred some harm. And I think that is the biggest hurdle, is just standing. I think everything else that you're talking about, whether it's guarantee clause or equal protections or any of those, or Simpson, uh, Mark C. Stimson, all of that, legally speaking, it's sound argument. It's interesting argument. It's, it's first impression. It's never been brought up before the court presidential level before, but it's interesting law and it's not off, it's not off point. The problem is proving that you have standing, and I think that is the big problem. And, and Hillary Clinton is really the surefire person to, to bring a case uh, and show that she's got standing because she was, you know, Deprived of the president. So well, she's going to do that. Well, Alex, you can you give her a call? That, Alex. Well, I well, wish she would. But she well, made a I point during the campaign to say, you know, in, in, in a, maybe a move of that was sort of 
arrogant. She she publicly and openly criticized Donald Trump for suggesting that he might not accept the outcome of the election. And I think that was a fatal flaw because it prohibits her from doing the same. But, Alex, Mm -hmm. wouldn't you agree, Mm -hmm. though, that Hillary is not the only aggrieved party? The the, the Russians... The American people are aggrieved parties. Well, the American people are aggrieved, but from a candidate standpoint, even, many of the congressional members whose information was provided to Republican candidates in order to help them win their races, they were also agreed parties in this. So I don't think Hillary Clinton... Pardon the me? Intel reports, the Intel reports that I've seen have been more specifically with regards to the presidential election. So I don't know if you're seeing other Intel that I haven't seen, but... Oh, absolutely. You know. It is... Oh, yeah. Uh, there, um, look for it, if you would. There, uh, um, the CIA and FBI uh, reveal that um, the... Uh, that the Russia, when they hacked the DNC, there are yeah. files maintained on uh, prospective candidates, or on candidates, I should say, to identify their vulnerabilities. And they, the uh, Russians hacked those files and then provided that information uh, in the communities where the, the races were occurring, and it significantly benefited the Republicans. That's why you have the Republicans now have the House the Senate and the but presidency. Now, but see, now you're now you're even broadening it out even more, so that there's even less standing. What you're what you're basically saying is that everyone was affected by it. Um, yes, and the American not the people. Way it works at it. But but no, but that's not the way that's not the way a, a court of law will look at it. They're going to look at it as well. Who's the aggrieved party, and why aren't they bringing in action? Who is the senator from what state, and why isn't he bringing in action in his state? And why isn't he? You know, if this goes well, down, how about in a class down. action suit? But yeah, some of the people who are work. looking at doing this. Let, let, let Alex being let Alex it. finish the point. Gerald, let let Alex uh, answer the question, please. Uh, uh, you know, what I'm about in a class saying, action suit when there may be thousands or millions of people? Well, a class action suit wouldn't be appropriate because it's you know it's a class action suit is seeking financial remedies, and uh, and you're looking for for like a settlement. I mean, you could maybe, but uh, a class action suit doesn't have to be limited to a to a material outcome. It could be yeah, harm but, based on you know medical issues or so. Yeah. Right. But why would you do but that if you have? Congr- I mean, it, let me just civil, interject this. It's a civil claim. Alex, so it's, no. Yeah. It's a civil action. What I'm though. saying, so what I'm saying oh. is that it's seeking a it's seeking a financial remedy. And uh, it doesn't have to be over a financial loss, but it's seeking a financial remedy most of the time. And what mm-hmm. you guys are talking about is a constitutional motion. It's, it's just not the appropriate action. A, cl- a class action wouldn't be appropriate. Okay. I'm, I'm just asking, Gerald, your point? Yeah, the point I'm making is that the, the, the candidates who ran for office, in fact, those are among people who are, were aggrieved. And so they would have standing. And to be honest with you, the way we've structured this case, um, I've talked to attorneys across, uh, 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 I, can't, I bet you I've talked to 30 attorneys. They tell me there is no precedent for this. You are in completely new waters. And so we can't, we can't 
say whether standing exists, whether it doesn't exist. We we can't even mm-hmm. define this case because of the sort of novel approach that you all have taken uh, with this case. So um, I, I the the goal is to make sure that we have people who have run for congressional office, that we have all types of individuals here because um, the reality is uh, we have to create, we have to cover every possible uh, option in order to improve actually, our probability of succeeding. And actually, yes. you're, so that's absolutely right. And actually, that was going to be my exact next point. When you asked me, what's the solution here? And I said, well, yeah, I felt for a long time it's just Hillary is the only person who can bring something in half standing or create the first the case of first impression. Be the first one yeah. to, you know, Interesting. who does it. And that is the other alternative. Now, that being said, creating first impression cases, it's hard, <laughs> it's hard to do. It doesn't happen all the time. So it's, it's, That's it's right. challenging That's because right. I don't know. No one knows what the – but I will say also that I think – on top of guarantee clause, there must be an equal protections clause argument involved because what you're saying right now, the American people were aggrieved. The, mm-hmm. the clause in the Constitution that protects the American people is uh, is the equal protections clause. That's the one that says that we must be treated equally under the law and that if we are deprived of our rights you know, under equal protections, that's the one that we go to. I think it's got to be a necessary part of the argument. Um, Interesting. Plus, plus we didn't include it. Oh, right. I was going to say, we wish that we had spoken with you earlier. Alex, we didn't include that. I had said no. Alex, we didn't include that because of Bush v. Gore. Um, Bush v. Gore had made it clear that um, we have no right to vote, no constitutionally guaranteed right right to vote, and so that sort of undermined that whole equal protection argument. But um, we felt that, as you said, the case of first impression, no one can argue. In fact, we have conclusive evidence that we have a cyber territory. And so uh, in keeping with that, um, there is some argument, by the way, about uh, the Republican form of government and all of that in the in the brief. But again, we felt that the most novel, and as you say, a, a case of first impression, uh, would be the whole invasion arguments because we saw a lot of law where the whole equal protection argument it just simply has been a very it has been used uh, it, many times it has simply uh, not gotten the job done so uh, that was our concern as well but I do love this um, the the uh, provision of law that the the Simpson uh, that you referred to earlier I think that is hugely yes. important. Mm-hmm. And if we are in a position of having to go in and argue the case in some way or fashion, that's going to be a very important citation. So thank you, Alex. Well, I, I think and that's Simpson, a great contribution Simpson, to the conversation. Yeah, but and also in its rationale, Simpson cites to you uh, equal protections clause and substantive due process, um, and so it relies on constitutional law and coming to its. Um, you know, to its conclusion. But I just want to also say that, uh, you know, Bush v. Gore, the, the holding is a little more complicated. Um, you know, it's they, they did continuously argue that there's no explicit right to vote in the U.S. Constitution. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. But there are, there are still protections uh, from making sure that people have 
um, at representative government, and that they're uh, if you do have an election, that uh, it's treated equally and fairly. So yes, you don't have that constitutional right to vote, but that means that doesn't mean that if the election happens, that you don't have a right to have a free and fair election, right? So yes. it's I know that sounds sort of like a gray area of the it, lot. It, it, it sounds like a bit of a conundrum is what it sounds like. And well, it's curious it, as anything, but true as it might be. Right. right. You, know, you, you know, case law diverges. You you might find some to support your argument over here and some that doesn't over here. And so, exactly. Um, it's sort of like know, the Bible, so, you know. Exactly. <laughs> sure, exactly. You exactly. find that which supports your stance and hope that the judge agrees with you, but um, certainly. Well, I want to thank you both. We've had a very robust discussion here about this subject that is obviously bringing a lot of feeling and a lot of passion to the to the foreground here among everyone. And it's charged because doing things right and being in the presence of ethical behavior is very deeply important. I think it's actually the basis to our health and our well-being and the happiness we might enjoy as a nation is when we see a lack of integrity at the top. It, you want to talk about trickle-down? That's what trickles down. Money doesn't trickle down, but stress. In fact, I've written a couple of articles in the Huffington Post about that trickle-down oh, phenomenon of emotional stress. I need to, you know? I need to read that. <laughs> Oh, yes, I'll, I'll get it to you. I'll get it to you for sure. Well, listen, I want to thank you both very much for being guests on today's show. Alex Mohajer and and uh, Gerald Sanders, you both uh, you. added so much to the discussion. And look, we're in this very precarious position, each of us here on this on this uh, discussion and roundtable, have our own interests in why we may want uh, this election result to be canned. And we also have a convergence as well as why we want from the point of view of the integrity of our democracy. So I appreciate very much your contributions to today's show. And let's carry on the dialogue and see what we can do to actually make things happen in this first impressionistic way. I like that phrase. I'm, I'm a legal novice, so that was fun to hear that uh, <laughs> maybe we'll win by first impressions. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Well, nice to see you. Absolutely. Thank you again, Alex. And, General, thanks so much for joining me today. And thank you, and great uh, being on with you, Alex. Take care. Okay, you too, General. All right, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now. Well, that was a truly dynamic dialogue and a trialogue, I guess I should say. And we have cleared um, a lot of ground here for some new happenings to occur uh, on the inside of this, I do want to say that there is a certain level of excitement that is beginning to flourish across the nation. I feel that's a fair thing to say with the fact that we do have filings that have taken place now, as mentioned earlier, San Francisco, Denver, and Boston. And the question of standing that Alex raised is a very good one. Uh, and it was also counterpointed by him as well with the point that because this is a new, novel, original, uh, maybe anomalous as well, moment in judicial history, 
but because the stakes are so high, we may have a judge among those who have been petitioned to really sit back and look at the ramifications of letting this just slide by. And I say that the ramifications are profound. We all need to just digest what it would look like for the rest of the world to see that our election was hacked by a third party and as Alex was rather outspoken about, not just any third party, but by a powerful adversarial party and what that means for the future of our democracy. So with those words, I will leave you today. I will ask you to please uh, get in touch with us and make donations if you can to help support our effort of doing the filing and the other ancillary printing costs are not huge but your contribution would be of tremendous help so thank you again if you do not yet receive our newsletter please go to www.abetterworld.tv abetterworld.tv and uh, please get our newsletter it's free we're on television in new york city every monday evening at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, of course, and every Wednesday and on, on radio. It's all archived. It's all podcast, so you can kind of jump on a betterworld.tv under radio archive at any time. Also, please do remember that A Better World itself is a nonprofit, a 501c3 organization, and we manage to sustain and be a voice of millions and be a voice of information that will not find elsewhere we seek to educate we seek to uplift we seek to inspire so again thank you so much for joining me today on a better world and i look forward to seeing you all 